Punchboard Media, where we all bring something to the table. Pull up a chair at punchboardmedia.com. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Gumbo Live. Here's your host, BJ from Board Game Gumbo. Hey, Board Gamers, BJ from Board Game Gumbo here, back with another episode of Gumbo Live. It's episode number 130. I'm here at the top because we had a little bit of audio issues. Sorry about my, my microphone. It's something to do with the BeLive interface. I apologize. I've tweaked it the best I could, but this is going to be about as good as we got. It's our special guest, Dan Thoreau from Space Biff, and I hope you enjoy the show. Until next time, les les bon temps roulés. Board Game Gumbo, a proud member of Punchboard Media. Hey, check out some of our other fine members, like Wheel Tapping. Hey, do you like 18xx games? Have I got a show for you? Wheel Tapping is Chris Whitpan and Tony Fryer. They discuss a different 18xx game every episode. They break down gameplay. They even bring expert players to talk strategy with you. If you're curious about 18xx games or you're a longtime fan, make sure you check it out. You'll find something in every show. Catch the fever of Wheel Tapping. Punchboard Media, where we all bring something to the table. Before we start, a couple of quick show notes. Having a little bit of audio problems tonight. I apologize in advance. We're going to do the best we can. We've got that swamp gas hitting us right now. Also, we've got our first ever Gumbo merchandise. Check out our Game Crafter link, which you can see right there on the screen, to get a copy of your very own board game Gumbo Bure deck with instructions on the gameplay. You hear us talking about Bure all the time. We've got the instructions inside the deck so you can learn this really nasty bidding game. It's really mean, but a lot of fun, and we play it down here in Louisiana. Carlos did an awesome job. Check out the premium deck of cards we have on the site. Hit us up on, on social media tonight, on Twitter, on Facebook, at Board Game Gumbo, or on YouTube, on our YouTube channel, and we'll be looking for your questions in the chat crew. But enough blather, blather. Let's get right to our special guest. It's Dan Thoreau of Space Myth, the world's first and only written board game review site. Not really, but <laughs> Dan, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thank you so much, BJ. Dude, I am, uh, it is awesome to have you here. I'm super excited. I've actually been wanting you on the show for a while. I was glad we were finally able to hook up and talk about it. But there may be some people, one or two, that, that are not familiar with the Merovingian dynasty, if I'm saying it right, and, uh, and, and don't know what the space myth is. So here's your chance. Give us the elevator pitch. Who is Dan Thoreau and what is space myth? Well, uh, the Merovingian dynasty is a Frankish dynasty. <laughs> And Space Biff is the site that I write kind of half-heartedly um, in which I write about board games for some reason. Um, I've been writing it for something like nine years, eight years now, I think nine years. And um, that's pretty much it. That's about as exciting as I get. That's Space Biff. And Space Biff has a couple of things that people always ask me about when I tell them about. First, the picture that we used for our promos this week was not actually a picture of Dan Thoreau, I've been told. Is that right? That, that is true. It's, uh, my background is in um, religious history. And so I teach religious history. And so it's, uh, it's a picture of St. Thomas Aquinas because I've been told I look like him depending on the angle. <laughs> depending mostly on the angle. Because, mostly because he was bald. So No, I, I, I get that all the time too. Any, any person with less hair or almost bald, they're like, oh, you look just like that person. Yeah. Yeah. From one angle. I, I totally get yeah. it. <laughs> hey, uh, Dan, it's a live show. we got some people checking in already. Look, the No Cube Zone. Jordan's the first one checking in, says, woo, made it on the show tonight. Usually they're, they're recording, so Jordan is always late, but that is awesome to have him here. 
Topher checking in, and Topher's actually going to be doing a contest tonight, Dan. Let oh, me tell you all about it. Topher's got a copy, an extra copy of Sprawlopolis, and also uh, is it Turbo Drift or Tokyo Drift? No, Turbo Drift. Oh, Drift. With the Rampant games. You know both of those games. Yeah. All right, quick elevator review. Okay. Uh, well, Turbo Drift, I can't be very objective because I actually am friends with Rob Kramer, the designer. Um, but it's uh, it, if you've ever played X-Wing, the miniatures game, it's a little like sure. that, except a racing game where you put out little things uh, that show you the direction you'll you'll race. Um, and then Sprawlopolis is a great, uh, what is it, 18 card little city builder where you're building board combos and stuff. It's good. Yeah, those are both good yeah. micro games. Our friend Steve talks about it all the time, the name father, uh, Sprawlopolis. So, so Topher's going to give away a copy tonight, and this is the contest, chat crew. We're going we're gonna to talk about it a lot, so chat crew, pay attention. This is the rules. All you have to do is, Dan's a world traveler. He's a historian. He loves you know, uh, places from all over the world. He's excited by those. You name a city that you think Dan would like to, uh, to visit. And if you're right, Dan's going to pick the best one tonight. Oh, Dan. So we're going to see how that works. So everybody check those out. Marshall Wells, who's the leader of the Sin Law Group right from up uh, north, he's saying, check it out, Marshall. You can throw Alexandria, Louisiana in there, but I don't know if Dan's going to pick it. You, you <laughs> might want to go more exotic than uh, things. Patrick Newman's checking in, the lefty rider down in Galveston. Have you been to Galveston, Dan? Is that exotic to you? No, I have not been there. So that would count as exotic. Oh, think about it, Patrick. Think about it. Throw those in there. <clears throat> and he says, uh, go Army, sink Navy. Hmm, I have two Marine sons. You know how I feel about that one, Patrick. Sorry. Sorry about that. Oh, we also have Verla checking in. Verla's going to be running the chat crew tonight. So chat crew, if you've got any guesses for Topher's game, let's get those started. Hey, this is the board game show. We like to talk board games, though, Dan. We do like contests, but we like to talk board games. From video to written to audio, Space Biff seems to cover it all. Is there any place you haven't gone yet that you want to go? Are you going to become the Clovis the first of board gaming? That's a great question. Probably not. Um, I don't have a Childeric as a father, so okay. so that my my dad is a is a Bert. So a that's Bert. out. Um, that's a good question. No, I uh, I. I I think sometimes I'm the least ambitious person in the entire industry. You're um, the second least ambitious person. In are the you industry. the first? Go ahead. I'm probably the first. Go ahead. <laughs> um, so just just in the sense that you know, I see a lot of people make the transition where you know what you really want to do is a podcast, or what you really want to do is a video series, or what you really want to do is be a designer. I <laughs> I don't want to design games. I don't want to be on video. Um, I do other run than, a podcast. Yeah, yeah. I wish I weren't. Um, I was considering wearing a, a mask just to confound everybody. I could put you in audio only if you really want to, but that's oh, not no. Well, now now we've taken the plunge. Okay. Um, so, so no, I, I, I'm pretty happy with what I'm doing. Um, I just love writing about board games. For me, that's what the hobby is, is it's more uh, about critically evaluating board games than even playing them. Though, of course, playing them is a step toward that, so can't dispense with that but so we can't expect the space fifth tower uh whole network to start no nope, you know if if dice tower were to reach out tomorrow i would probably have to tell them no mm-hmm. i don't i don't have anything to offer speaking of potential no's jordan says omaha nebraska is his guest mm. exotic I've enough ne- i've never been 
to Omaha. And Kelly Crows has a great song entitled Omaha. It does. It's the theme of the uh, College World Series. And I went to Omaha in 2000 to watch the World Series there. By the way, fun fun fact about Omaha, you can eat off the streets. It's so clean there. You can literally throw your food on the ground. When, When one of the restaurants we had ran out of plates, we just threw it right on the ground. Well, we did, but you know that we thought about it. Super, super clean, super clean, clearly. And uh, Mick and Starla, our friends from our family plays games. By the way, huh, Steve? I got it. I'm representing tonight. Our family plays games there. They're also from Omaha, so we'll see if we have more than one vote. So Omaha is exotic, uh, Jordan. It sounds like it's in the room. It's in the running for Dan, potentially. So one of the things, I always do a little bit of research, Dan, and I like to check out some stuff. And I saw some, some very interesting videos that you're probably very proud of when you were the sole correspondent for SaltCon back in 2013 and 2014. Yes. Some, I, some tremendously engaging videos that I really, it was my kind of humor. So I just loved. Um, I do have a question, though. Why are they slipping so far down on your list of best conventions? It looks like an amazing convention. It, it's all right, and it's been getting better. So that that was 100% a joke. I don't think I have ever been to another Mountain West board game convention. Okay. What, hap- what happened with those videos was we just had the idea, let's, uh, let's, just, let's just interview people as though we were important, which, of course, <laughs> we're not. I love that. And... Um, and the first year we just grabbed a, like an actual camcorder, not even a phone. Like we had a, which is worse than a phone. Right. And so we grabbed some camcorder and we just went and you could hear the background noise. You could barely hear us talking to the designers and stuff. So the next year we did take a microphone. My favorite story from that is actually, I, I snubbed Ryan Lockett um, half on accident. And I told him I would take it out. What happened was I said, Hey Ryan, I'm glad we had you on the show. And then I turned to give to shake his hand and at the last minute I pulled away as he reached out his hand and oh, it yeah. was just so awkward that I had to keep it in, even though I told him I would cut it out. Um, that part is like watching an episode of the office where Michael and Jim are, are messing up the handshake. It was like, yeah. you know, it was pretty awkward. There. It was pretty funny. Yeah. And, and you're one of the first people to clarify his last name because for years people called him Lockett, but you know, you, you, you got him uh, to say it, to pronounce it the right way. I'm glad you, yeah. I'm glad you made him pronounce it the right way. Hard-hitting journalism. <laughs> it was. Hey, we got a couple other uh, shows. Look, you don't have any cities. You don't have to pick your own city. You can name other cities, but people are enjoying their cities. So Patrick says Galveston. We, you and I talked about that one. But Marshall says, what about anywhere in Louisiana? It's got the best food and a retro arcade. Now, Marshall, that probably appeals to Dan. A retro arcade? Sure, yeah. I, uh, do you know Tim Fowers? Um, uh, I don't know him, but I know the games. Yeah. Fowers sure. games. Yeah. So, um, for his birthday, he invites people. Uh, we didn't do it this year. I don't think, um, for, I don't know why, but, uh, to an arcade and we all play killer Queens. Um, I don't know that. So I think you just play as bees okay. attacking. It's not, I'm not good at it. So don't expect me to describe it, but, uh, yeah, an arcade that has a certain appeal. I feel like I can find an arcade here. This is a retro arcade, though. It's all the old, old games from the 80s and 90s, and they throw them up there. You can play them all night. Okay. All right. It's, it's, I don't know if it's first, but it's in the right now, it's in the top three, Marshall. It's in the top three. I'm, I'm feeling it at least. 
Maybe. So Topher, I, Topher, I have no idea what this is. Do you have any idea what he's what he's talking about here? Because I thought he was doing the police at first. I don't. Manana, manana. Manana, nah. Ah, is that what it is? Yeah, that's what it is. It's the it's the um, mana, mana. It's the ABC song from uh, from uh, Sesame Street. Manana, nah. do, 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 do. I don't know. I don't know what the reference is. Topher, you're gonna have to help us out on that one. Uh, is that Nick from says, somewhere. Nick says, Killer Queen sounds like a Freddie Mercury button smasher. I like it. All right. So, yeah, law cap. That's right. All right. So, last topic I wanted to talk to you about. I was very interested in your announcement and uh, you plug it. You were the first person that I saw plugged it. And now I've seen it in other parts of social media. But I want you to tell the chat crew something about the Zenobia Awards announcement and what your role is going to be. What are the Zenobia Awards? Because, you know, in certain corners, it's not getting a lot of pub, and I think we need to get some more publicity about it. Uh, sure. So the Zenobia Award is an award that's going to be put on um, by some pretty big names in the war game sphere of the hobby. Um, so you might recognize Volko Runke is one of okay. them, um, Harold Buchanan, people who have designed a lot of games for GMT games. Sure. And what they're Wilson looking did for, the first coin game, if I remember right, right? Yes. Isn't that what he's, he's known for? Yeah. Yeah. And he's had an active hand in the development of quite a few of them, I believe. Um, and what they're doing is they've pointed out that, you know, the hobby tends to be, at least here in the United States and in the UK, uh, there's a certain demographic that it tends to attract and foster. And so what they're looking for is True. they're looking for a little bit of a different perspective. Um, so they're looking for underrepresented groups. And one of the things that's cool about it is um, I actually think award is a little bit of a misnomer. Um, what excites me about it is really that there's a mentorship. So right. if you come from a background where maybe you uh, have wanted to design a historical board game and you feel, you know, maybe no one will listen to you. Maybe, maybe that's something that you don't have the confidence to do. Um, what you can do is you can pitch it to the Zenobia Award, and they are going to pick a certain number of people who basically you get six months of uh, mentorship with somebody inside the industry. So I'm volunteering with them, and that's what I am going to be doing is, is pairing up with somebody for a mentorship. And, um, and hopefully it will get some people into the industry and into the hobby who otherwise wouldn't feel comfortable breaking in. Um, so I think it's a great initiative and I hope we get some games out of it. Apparently they've already had a few submissions, so that's pretty exciting. Um, but yeah, that's the gist. Yeah. I was going to see if I can get it up there. Yep. I think I've got it. Let me see if I can pull that up for you. Uh, so Chad, we're talking about the Zenobia award right here. Is that right? Yep. Historical board games enjoyed by people from all walks of life. So basically what I liked about this is, it, you know, there's a lot of yelling on Facebook, on Twitter and all the sides. And, and a lot of it is passion for good reasons. But mm -hmm. This was more about opening doors, fostering and mentoring people, you know, that, that whole mentoring angle. And I love that idea because some people shy away from conflict and some people shy away from, uh, from, you know, from public, the public sphere, yet they have an interest in, in a, in an area of games that we would all agree is underrepresented by people of color, by women, by, you know, other, other walks of life. So I love this idea and, uh, and, and I'm happy to promote it on the shows. The Zenobia award. Uh, 
there is there a deadline for this coming up? Um, so I think that the application process goes through. Is oh. it January? So yeah, I'm, I'm not on. It. Yeah, I'm not on that part of uh, the thing. I'm not on the board, so I won't be doing any judging. It's been kind of interesting, just the response. For the for the most part, people have been pretty enthusiastic about it. I have had a number of emails where people are uh, saying it's it's racist in the same way that affirmative action, which is kind of fun that someone thinks we're going to resolve that discussion uh, through a few <laughs> on emails. Twitter. Yeah, right. On Twitter. Email. Right. Um, so, but I I think it's pretty positive. You know, some of the people who I've reviewed their games. Um, one example would be. Um, the des- Aaron Lee Escobedo, for instance, the designer of Meltwater, has talked about uh, that she, as a trans woman, had a lot of trouble getting publishers to listen to her pitches, and her game was eventually published and was actually critically celebrated, um, but it's, it got published because it was published by another trans woman. So, so this, is, this is initiative in part is just to try to get some new voices into that part of the hobby. Um, I couldn't be more excited. I think it's going to be great. Zenobiaaward.org. Check who checked it out and give it some support or give it some publicity. I haven't seen a lot of people talking about it, but I have seen you, Dan, and, uh, and, and kudos to you for, for getting the word out. Opening doors. Uh, that, that's what, in Punchboard Media, that's what we talk about, bringing more people to the table. So this looks like an award or a mentorship program, as, as you say, about bringing people to the table. So I love that. Hey, let's bring in my friend uh, Steve, the name father, checking in so we can talk about some games because, you know, Dan, this is a board game show. And we like talking about board games, right? Hi, Steven. Hey, Dan. Steve, how welcome you doing? to the show, man. I'm well. Good to be how with you. you. I'm doing okay. Because more game gumbo. I've got my guest here, Dan Thoreau from Space Biff. We're talking spicy hot games. And one of the ones I was excited that you put on the show notes was a game that I got to play from Rio Grande Games. It seems like maybe the return of Rio to the big to the big euros that w- that we grew up when we got into the hobby, and that's Beyond the Sun. Dan, you played this, right? I have played this like six times. Give us the elevator pitch. What is Beyond the Sun? Oh man, that's a that's a good question. <laughs> to me, Beyond the Sun is a tech tree. Um, so the game uh, it's about exploring space and colonizing planets, but the its approach you know lots of these games have technology in them. But what this one is, is it's built around, and there it is right there on the picture, uh, it's built around a technology tree. Um, so as you play, you research technologies, and those technologies unlock actions that you can take and give you bonuses, and you, they let you research more technologies. And one thing I, I'm really liking about it, I don't know if this is the case for you, BJ, so you've played it? Yes, i played um, it twice. The, you've played it twice. So one of the things I love about it is you really don't... Um, you don't research everything. Um, I think the most Especially I've ever... Especially if you're like me, you don't research everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or you I, don't get a chance to. Yeah, I love that. You know, I've reached the fourth level, I think, um, most games. But, you know, I've never researched more than one level four tech. Um, and they can really transform how the game feels. So uh, I'm really digging it. I, I wasn't sure how I would feel about it. It has a lot of negative space. Maybe the graphic design isn't super exciting, but it's very crisp. Um, this, this board right here, it's just so plain, though. Dang, it's very man. It's just so plain. And I will tell you, when, when, we, got our, when we got our copy in, the, the, front of the, the front cover was like, so exciting. You're going beyond the sun. You're going to explore. Yeah. And then we put the board on the table and we took the player boards and we're like, 
oh no, is this going to be one of these spreadsheet Phil Eklund type <laughs> games? But Dan, it didn't turn out to be that at all. This is oh, no. yes, it's it's Euro the uh, it's Euro the uh, Euro game or, or uh, Euro the Tech game, as you said, Tech Tree game. But it is so exciting, and and maybe it's even though it's a small part of the game. See if I can find it. The, uh, this part, I I love the actual space exploration, especially yeah. when we got to play it with three players. It was even better. We got Jay uh, Bell uh, to come in, mm-hmm. and me, Jay, and Bradley played, and it played so much different at three than it did at two. That I just can't wait for this pandemic to be over, so I can get four people around the table again. You know? Oh yeah. Uh, you know, crowding around this board in this in this configuration. We were on different corners of a giant eight foot by twelve foot table, so we're pretty far apart. I think this game is four people crouched around a board, moving pieces against each other, watching what Dan's doing as he goes up the tech tree. Because I, I need to get some of those texts myself, right? Yeah, you know we we have been fortunate. We have a we have a housemate, so we've been able to play it with four. And the only downside is it's a bit of a table hog. So this is one of those games that we have had people standing up and, you know, you put your hands on the table and really lean over it just so that you can see all of the cool stuff that everybody else is doing. Um, Because there's so much going on. Sometimes somebody will research something and you can tell they're excited about it. They're jumping all over the place. And then, you know, you you don't know why because the card is so far away. I, I got so close in both games to getting that fourth tech tree. I, I feel like if I had gotten the fourth, uh, the fourth level, I would have felt like I won, even if I didn't win, you know, because <laughs> yeah. it just feels so satisfying right. to get there. But I will say this. Uh, you kind of hinted at something earlier. Although the board itself is nothing spectacular, the player boards are a little blah. The crispness of the graphic design, I heard somebody complain about the graphic design. I have zero complaints about the graphic design. In other no, words, iconography, it, no. Dan, we picked up the iconography in second. Yeah, it's very intuitive. That's one of the things I like about it. I, I actually think that this is a, a good example of a board game where it's lack of too much. Uh, it, it, it's a selling point, right? It's, you do not want this to be too cluttered. I, I love being able to look across the table, and even though everything is miniature, you can pretty much tell what things will do right when you look at them. You don't have to sit there and evaluate them. You don't have to look past artwork. Um, yeah, I think this, I don't want, I don't want more art on this one. Hmm. Uh, Steve, does this interest you a little bit beyond the It's sun? interesting hearing you talk about it's uncluttered nature being a feature rather than a bug. And it sounds like a lot of folks are critic might be criticizing it for its aesthetics, but you're saying, the not getting in the way lets mechanics really come it's through. Kind of, it's kind of refreshing. Right, yeah. Dan? Yeah, I mean, so take take this game and just the amount of visual information that it wants you to process mm-hmm. and now put art, put a, put a watermark of right. technology on every card. How are you going to read this right. game, especially with how much space it takes up? That tech tree is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think you showed like the little uh, planet board where you explore and the player board. Those are already full size um, things. The board itself is like three times bigger. Um, See, this is a, this is a regular board game size board. And, and, yeah. and the main that's not the yeah. main board. That's the small board. Right. Interesting. Yeah, that's a sideboard. Yeah, that's just the sideboard. I do love that exploring mechanic. And I didn't realize how much uh, deeper you get into the exploration when you play three versus two. The two, the two sided oh, board yeah. is kind of limited. It's uh, this is really nice. I, I tell you, I, I'm a huge fan. In fact, 
if you guys don't mind, I'd like to stop the show. Maybe the three of us just find it on TTS somewhere and just play. <laughs> sure. This is one of those games. If I were doing the Omni game, Steve, you could name Beyond the Sun, right. and you'd guess do, it on the first try. Do, the modu- do these different modular parts, exploration, tech, do they come together as a whole? How do they or, – or, or I'm seeing a lot of different boards, a lot of different places. Does it unify? Dan? It does a lot better than I was expecting when I first broke it out. So, I mean, so the player board right there um, that BJ has up, you can see you've got you've got tracks that mm-hmm. you're going to be spending a lot of time making the sideboard. Um, <laughs> you're going to be spending a lot of time trying to put down uh, outposts and colonies specifically to put out those little plants and those little gears because those are going those are going to let you produce the resources and workers you need to continue exploring. So things are moving between the three boards. It feels uh, very alive in that respect. Your little workers, so they're dice. You never roll them as far as I know. I think there's maybe one event that you roll them. I, yeah, I did roll and I was very excited. I, I got the yeah, you card to roll you, had to roll a, <laughs> you had to roll a dice and whatever it came out, that's what your spaceship was. So that yeah. was kind of exciting. Gotcha. So it's, it's cool because those are them being dice is actually super efficient because you don't need a bunch of tokens. So it's one side is supply. One side is your worker. And then it becomes ships of different strengths. So what you do is, you know, you take it off your board when it's a supply and it becomes a worker. Then you can put your worker out, out here to work on something to become a tech or flip it over. It becomes a ship of a different strength and flies around. So these, they do matter, you know, that it's a representation of kind of your total manpower, your, your investment, and yeah, I think it, it fits together surprisingly well. Interesting. It's, it's, it's our first multi-use dice. It's not the first, of course. Uh, you know, games like Coinbra <laughs> have done it before, but but it is. It's, it's multi-use dice in that you, there's a couple of the, the really juicy decisions where I was down to one dice in my little thing, and I had to decide, am I sending it this way, sending it that way? Because you knew then you had to bring more dice off your player board to get, I forget what the term is called when you're trying to get them ready. I just love it. It's a combination of, of trying to build out on that tech tree that I'm showing, trying to explore or determining how much you want to explore because that's one way of scoring points or determining how much you want to build your engine off your player board. You could play this, I think, as just a straight engine builder, sit back, build up that engine, and then, you know, hope that you have enough turns to attack the tech tree or attack the space board. But I, I think the better strategy would be doing a little bit of all of it at the same time, which is, which Steve is, is a tough juggle to do, Syner- you know? To synergize that's got to be difficult. Yeah. Yeah. The mark of a good gamer when you can juggle all those things. I, I, so the two games that we played were the total of five players, the two and the three. Uh, I've seen you know multiple strategies being um, being performed from my terrible ones all the way to Bradley's amazing ones. So Dan, are you are you seeing the same thing that there doesn't seem to be one way of playing the game? You can kind of do what yeah, you I would, want. To I would agree, and some of that is that it makes a, a decision that was not uncommon in older Euro games, but has sort of fell out of favor, which is just luck. Um, so the, what happens is when you research, you you have a little choice where... Um, Dan, Dan, you're breaking Joel Lewis. I'm sorry, Come Joel. On, man. I'm sorry, Joel. This game stinks. It's for losers. Only dweebs play Beyond the Sun. Terrible graphics. Pathetic weakling. Stay away, Joel. Um, but one of the things I do like is that when you, when you research a tech, you actually draw, um, and there's some direction to that. It's not entirely random. Like you might be looking for a specific type of technology, but you draw it at random. So there's this sense of discovery, which, you know, 
in this era where we play Civ games like Sid Meier's Civilization might seem counterintuitive, but that's really the way that scientific inquiry functions, isn't it? You, you accidentally discover penicillin. You don't go in expecting to, you know, get rid of bacteria. That's just something that it's weird. It's wild. That's how, that's how inquiry, or you invent uh, Viagra on accident. You know, there's all sorts of things that we didn't go in anticipating. And I love that it does that. So there is some discovery and it, it does make every game feel different. We've had games that were just all out space warfare. And then we've had games where the, the, the colonizing portion of the game was really a sideshow um, where it didn't matter all that much. Hey, Steve, take a note. Dan says beyond the sun is the Viagra penicillin of board games. Yep. Yeah. That's, yep. that's what I, that's what I took from this long discussion. <laughs> that's the only thing I could focus on. Uh, what, before we, before we switch off of beyond the sun, Patrick wants to know about this town and I'm not even going to try Dan. Have you Go been here? Up. Are you interested in this town? Um, I am intrigued by the pronunciation of it. Mm-hmm. Right. Patrick, we're saying Gatibo. Let us know if that's the right way to, to pronounce it. I'm, so, I'm curious. Patrick went in a different direction. I thought someone was going to try to trump Galveston mm. and uh, <laughs> Omaha. And he's going the and other he's way. There, he's there. Right. <laughs> it's, it's interesting to have my exotic vacation destination of choice be <laughs> Omaha at this point. Um, <laughs> leader in the clubhouse. So far, the leader is Omaha with Gatibo, Oklahoma. You know, when, when we designed this game in the pre-show, Steve, this is not exactly what we thought. We thought people were going to be thought Bangkok or Paris or, sure. you know, Malarga. But no, we, we're getting we're getting an unusual choice. Immediately start, you know, doing some research on the Merovingian dynasty and try to find some, you know, locations of interest oh, for Dan. Yeah. And, uh, Paris. Please. I threw I threw out some hints there, didn't I, Steve? I mean, I threw out some hints. So it's it's Godibo. Now, Godibo, Oklahoma, I've actually heard of, Dan. I don't okay. know why. We Godibo. must have gone to a Boy Scout camp near there because mm-hmm. I recognize that name, Godibo. So Jordan's not going to give us any other names because he wants to win. So, All right, Chaku, just as a reminder, <laughs> the game we're playing with Dan tonight before we get to the big game at the end is our friend Topher Graves has a, a copy of Sprawl Office and a couple other games, Turbo Drift, uh, with the ramped up expansion. And that, um, and that includes, a, am I saying it right, Servo Drift? Hopefully I am. But to- Tover's going to give that away to anybody that can convince Dan to take a vacation at an exotic location like Omaha <laughs> or Godimo, Oklahoma. All right. So we're, we're getting closer. He says Paris, Texas. The old joke among Texans. Okay. Kelly's, Kelly's on board. She's got. Catch a can. Ke- oh. Catch a can? Oh, Kelly, I would love to go to Alaska. Ooh, now, is Ketchikan, ooh. is that a good town or is that like Knoll, Alaska, where everyone, you know. <laughs> I've never been to Alaska. They've they an Alaska connection, so I'm, I'm thinking Kelly's not going to steer you wrong when she's sending you to the north. I, okay, well, I, I, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to consider this Alaska proposal. Mm, so Alaska now might be the leader yeah, in the right? clubhouse. Mm, I've never been to Alaska. I've got my guest here, Dan Thoreau, better known as Space Biff Online. He does reviewing, and we're talking spicy hot games with Steve. One of the games I've been trying to talk about on the show for the last couple of weeks. I don't think you've played it, Dan. It's called Caritosh, and it's from Mebo Games all the way from Portugal. Have you played Caritosh? No, it looks fascinating just on that cover. Oh, I've stumped him. Okay, Is so it pronounced Caritosh? Caritosh. 
like tush, karitush. Why the sh? Like how inish is inish. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I watched a video. I didn't know because this is a, this is a company from Portugal. Um, and I just, I was doing the Essen pre-show with Paul Grogan and he said, make sure one of the games is something that, you know, don't, don't just name, you know, Uwe Rosenberg's new game. You know, let, let's come up with some new games. Yeah. And this cover, literally, I picked the game based on the cover. Because I was like, look at this cover and look at this name. So I watched yeah. the video and the, and the owner of the company, Mebo, was very careful to pronounce it. And he said, this is how you pronounce it because we know people are going to struggle with it. Karitosh. And it's like a tosh almost. Karitosh. And what this game is, I'm going to give you the elevator pitch. It is Monsters, Inc. in Portugal. So if you like the show Monsters, Inc., Mike, uh, Mike and Sully, right? Mike and Sully had to go out, scare people mm-hmm. to generate right. energy for the town. These, this is legend in the northern part of Portugal. I'm instantly intrigued because part of my family is the De Silva family, all the way from Lisboa. And so instantly I was like, oh, wow, northern uh, Portugal, I want to hear about it. There's these legendary creatures that inhabit the spaces between the northern villages. And when the villages go from village to village, they whisper among each other to make sure they build a nice campfire. That's where those black tokens are. Gather in groups. Because if you go out solitary, you disappear. Now, in this game, they don't die, of course, Dan. They just go to a sanctuary for human beings, right? Where the <laughs> where the can pay $5 and get some popcorn and maybe some Roman candy and watch sure. it. So that's the board. It's a beautiful, colorful board. This is one of the examples of, and these are actual Portuguese legends that they've incorporated into the game. You play as these legends. And here's what makes it different. Yes, this is a family weight game. It's a family level game. Think uh, turn in taxis or, or ticket to ride. A little bit more than ticket to ride, of course. But, the, but here's the difference. Imagine if one of those simple games gave you two unique characters, each with special powers. And those special powers are triggered by the colored cards you play. Very simple to remember, red, yellow, and blue. You play the red card that round, you get to do the red action. Play the yellow card that round, you get to do the yellow action. Nice and simple. You only have three cards in your hand, so the decision tree is pretty easy. But what if, there's Jay Bell playing, what if you play a red card and it's got that cool symbol at the top, that little exclamation point? And then next turn you play a yellow card and it's got that same symbol at the top? Guess what? Dan, you get to play both of your monsters on that turn. Ooh. Now, again, limited. This is a family, so the most you can chain up is two actions back-to-back. But how fun is that trying to plan out, man, I really want to play this powerful action on this blue card, but wow, my red and yellow cards match up. If I play them both back-to-back, I'm going to get to play two actions. What am I doing on the board? Mainly what you're doing on the board is moving those monsters around, trying to grab the villagers, trying to separate them out, and then wherever they're singles, run right over them, snap them up, and score points on them. You do have some hidden goals at the end, and that's what these cards are for. These are little cards that some of them are hidden and some of them you buy from the market. And basically, look, I mean, is the iconography any simpler? It's collect white uh, meeples, get two points for each one of them. Collect a set of all colored meeples, get five. I, I I haven't played the game in weeks, and I can tell just from looking at the cards what they are, you know? Collect collect all the same ones and get five points. So as you go around the board and some of the, some of the locations actually match up, you'll see like uh, lighthouses or little villages and they all have the same pictures and where they do your monsters can even bounce between them because they're monsters, right? Yeah. 
The last intriguing part of the game is the Kritosh. So it would be fun if we were all just moving our monsters around, gathering villagers, but there's no real interaction there. The last part is those Kritosh. Oh, no, not this game. Not Florida, man. <laughs> that one I'm not expecting Dan to, to, uh, <clears throat> to review. But um, the Kritosh, are, that's the legendary, legendary creatures. There's two of them on the board, and sometimes your card will say, that you can move the Kritos. See that blue card there on the upper right-hand corner? That weird symbol you see on there? Yeah. That's the Kritos. So on your turn, you get to move the Kritos two spaces. Guess what happens if the Kritos runs into other players or villagers? Needs them. It either sends your player out for, or sends your opponent out for a little while, or it makes the villagers disappear. So this is a way to prevent, you know, mom or dad from running up the score on little Johnny. Little Johnny's going to send the Kuritos everywhere. So anyway, it's a fun little one-hour wonder of a type of a game. Family-friendly with amazing art. And I'll tell you, it's been one of my favorite games we played. I got Jay Bell to play with me, and he, he had a blast too. He was like, I wasn't expecting much, but this is actually a pretty cool game out, out there in, um, out from uh, Portugal. What do you think, Dan? Any, any of that sound intriguing to you or Steve? It does. So I have two questions. So first of all, do do people lose turns? Never. Never okay, lose good. a turn. Okay, great. In fact, here's the cool mechanic that I wish designers would think about. It is okay in a game to make me lose a turn, but give me something else to do. If oh, your sorry. monster gets eaten and goes to a board, you can always pay campfire tokens to take it out. Or if someone else gets eaten, they bump your monster back out and back onto the board. Now, how oh, friendly nice. is okay. that? Okay. Yeah, that's nice. My, my second question is, what do the colors of meeples represent? Uh, I would say that the colors of the meeple represent the five warring factions of Portugal that date back Ooh. to pre... No, I have no idea. No. Really? <laughs> they're, just, oh. they're just colors. I was hoping you were being serious. That would have been awesome. <laughs> Uh, that's not a good hope on this show because that's rarely the case. Um, <laughs> rarely the case. Only when my lips are moving can you tell if I'm lying. Um, the the colors are just yeah. Unfortunately, in this game, they're just they're just colors, just different mm. colors. Five, five okay. different one there. But but to 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 kind of fall on that, the monsters that you see, I've only shown you two. There are a ton in the game. I want to say they're like. 12 or 14 different monsters. So oh, wow. no, I, I played the game three or four times now. And yeah, four times now. All different player counts, except I haven't played four, unfortunately, because of COVID. But I played two and three multiple times. And it's always been different because it just depends on what monsters come out. They each have unique powers. Some of them jump around the board better. Some of them move farther. One of them even moves like the Kritosh. He, this monster, I forgot what her name is, uh, Sally, the lost soul, Sally can roll through people and send them into that, into the, off the board. So she's yeah. sort of like a Kritosh, but mm. Kritosh, uh, something pretty cool. Yeah, I would play this. Yeah, it looks interesting. That is Kritosh from Eagle Games. Steve, anything? You, you had me with the, the sales pitch, Monsters, Inc. in Portugal. I'd be interested in seeing how the actual mechanics and all flow and play. Um, and, and if, you know, if if the kids in, that you play with really do understand that, you know, this person's not really being, you know, removed from the game. They're just going off to the farm upstate. Um, <laughs> they're living with grandma and grandpa for a little while. Um, it, it seems like it could work. 
They're going to the Kreditos form to jump at the rabbits. That's what they're Just doing. A quick reminder for people to keep throwing out some names of cities and stuff. We have some new additions. Joel gave gave the the easy to pronounce Perth, and the harder to pronounce Mamunkukum Purangunja um, in South wow. Australia. So Joel, uh, I didn't even get with that. Joel, I'm sure. Yeah, he's the designer okay. of Fluttering Souls, Dan. I don't know if you've played Fluttering Souls before, but Joel's from Down Under, and that is a town I'm not quite sure I remember. I'm not sure if he's making this up or not, but I think it's an actual town. <laughs> Dan? There, there's, a single, there's a single phrase in there that I think would preclude me from actually vacationing there, and it comes after the Mamun Kunkum Parang and before the Junya. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. So we need to be and and I, I don't know if I could sell my family on that one. Mm-hmm. But that's a that would that would make for a heck of an airline ticket. Hey, so come scrapbook. Catch a, yeah, exactly. I, that is a cool. You know, getting the T-shirt. I went to blah 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 blah, blah and all they bought me was a stupid T-shirt. <laughs> right. That would be something I'd like to see you wear, Dan. Thank you. Yeah, oh. I, I, I should wear that to a convention. <laughs> Kelly says Ketchikan is quirky. Berla says it's a cruise destination. Are you a cruiser? Dan? Oh, uh, I have been on one cruise. Yeah. I've only been on one myself. Yeah. Uh, and Patrick says it's pretty touristy, but still fun to visit. That sounds like my kind of place to, to go to. Still touristy. You know, I was told not to go to Mont, was it Mont St. Michel? Um, on the coast there of Normandy. I think that's oh, the name yeah. of this. I was told it's very touristy. You don't want to go over there. And we had a good time. We had a we had a blast. I love that town. That town is awesome. Yep, I I, I really enjoyed it. We uh, a quick story about it. We, we drove all day. I speak very little French, not very good. But I but I've been out in France for four or five days, so I, was, I thought I was getting better at it. But we drove through seven hundred eighty two roundabouts or roundabouts to get to Mont Saint Michel. I was brain dead driving a stick shift, but I hadn't drove in twenty years through seven hundred eighty two roundabouts. We finally get to the little Airbnb uh, at the base of Mont Saint Michel that we're gonna stay a little farmhouse. And I walk into the farmhouse to talk to the lady, and I'm just tired. I, I can barely speak French, and I can't be tired when I speak French. I got my brain totally focused, and I'm struggling in French to to, to describe what I want to do and to check into the hotel. And the lady looks at me, deadpan, straight in the face. She says, "In English, wouldn't this be better in English?" <laughs> <laughs> it would be a lot easier in English. I was like, oh, thank God. Because we were in the middle of nowhere in Normandy. And you, no one spoke English, any English out there. So, oh. Is, Mont, is nice. Mont Saint-Michel the one that you have to walk over to on the mud flats at low tide? Yeah. 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 That's it. Cool. Gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm trying to see if we have any other uh, places. Cape Town. Cape Town oh, was got, and Perth, got, Australia. Ooh. Is this I an have, interesting one to you, Dan? Lick skillet. Oh man, no, I've been there. Um, oh, okay. Sorry, I, I haven't heard of it, but but uh, I don't know. I don't want to lick it, but I have wanted to go to Perth. That sounds nice. Perth, Australia. Perth, Australia. Mm, well, how about nice. this? I, you know, if you're offering uh, Jordan, then I don't see why not. I don't see why you couldn't win this contest. Yeah, but you if might you're have, really going to take have, me sailing, you might have to team up with Joel, who actually lives out in the west of Australia, doesn't he? Isn't Joel, is Joel in Perth? Joel, Joel, if you're still listening, Joel, Joel might have to be Joel. your uh, might have to be your guide in that area too. I can't. 
can't remember where Joel is from. Um, yeah, I don't remember if it's Australia. All right, one, one more game to talk about. BJ's more game to go. I've got my guest here, Dan Thurl, and we're talking spicy odd games. Uh, we've talked about a lot of details in some games. This is one I think you're going to have to handle because although I've played the game, it was so out there. I'm not sure I can describe it, Dan, and I'm talking about Cosmic Frost. Yeah, Jim Felly does some pretty unhinged designs. <laughs> um, and oddly enough, this is his most accessible uh, this, this is the one that, this is the closest to mainstream he's done. Um, you play as two mile tall frogs, um, who, when the world ended are now gobbling up parts of it to put in their gullet and then regurgitate into pocket dimensions to make new worlds. And, uh, this is it's so idiosyncratic, but I love this game. Um, we just played it the other day. Um, its tabletop simulator module is actually in some ways better than the real thing because it sets it up for you. It's a real pain to set up. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's hilarious. I think this game is comedy gold. I love it. Um, I know that a lot of people don't get along with it quite as well as I did. Um, it's, you, you don't go five seconds without luck in this game, nope. which I know, I know luck makes some people break out in hives. Um, mm-hmm. So the first time we played it, we actually bailed on it after a round because it was what? just so out there. So, so again, it's just TTS. <laughs> this is 1130 at night. It's like, okay, we'll try later. We came back to it and we played. And Dan, you, we went to the mindset going, okay, there's going to be some crazy stuff that happens. And once we got that in, it actually became fun. You know, you know how you get the special power cards? Yeah. We traded special power cards so many times that we really couldn't even keep up with what each person's special powers were. And it became fun that way because you might get a junky kind of junky special power. And then the next round, you've got this amazingly crazy special power and nobody's expecting it. And you're just running roughshod all aboard. At the same time, it's got this really weird theme about giant frogs eating the world and spinning it back out. It's got this board right here. And the board is a spatial puzzle. That's really kind of unique and intriguing. I, I actually had a good time with the spatial puzzle. Did you enjoy that part of it? Yeah, and it depends how many people you play with. So if you play with a lower count, it really shines. At a higher count, because you can attack other frogs and forcibly destroy their little world um, to steal its parts for yourself. And oh, it yeah. gets, So our game that we played the other day was with six. Um, so the winning score was like 14 <laughs> or something. Uh, and, and we've seen points up in something like uh, 60. So... It, it can get really nutty with more. I, if, if, if you're already struggling at the sound of all of the chants, I, w- I would say don't play this with more than four people. Um, but, oh, I love it. It is just so wacky. Um, I, I have had trouble just even explaining how to play. Um, you know, each different part is almost like a, a unique mechanism to the game. The way you put out those tiles, it's this crazy splinter card that comes out, and then everything around it gets destroyed. So, so slowly, Dan, it's sort of like a timer in the game, right? The, yeah. the board itself gets tighter and tighter, forcing people, forcing the frogs really to just do battle. Where, where at the start of the game, there, you know, we're all in different parts of the board, and there wasn't a lot of player interaction. By round three or four, or whatever the rounds are called, I don't remember. That we we damn we were literally on top of each other, literally. Yeah, yeah. And I, I at at first it kind of it almost feels like you're going to just not even interact. 
Um, but as, as the splinter or the shard or whatever it's called is gradually broken down, you're forced into friction with each other. And how do you do friction? Well, yeah, you can, you can jump on people and punch them. But more importantly, you can kick them into alternate dimensions where they are trapped and they have to fight their way back out of it. Um, I think that's this part right here where you have to go yes, through the, the outer dimension to get back on the board. Okay. <laughs> rather, rather than turtles all the way down, this one's frogs all the way down. Frogs all the way down. Yeah, yeah, all the way exactly. down. Yeah, so Dan, Steve, Dan's not a big fan of saying things like, if you're into this game, then that, or maybe this mm-hmm. game is this or that. And I know you're not, Dan, but this is one of those games I think – you almost have a duty as a reviewer to tell people if you don't like player conflict, if you yeah, don't like, yeah. you might want to step away. That doesn't mean I don't think it's a good game. I don't mm-hmm. like a lot of those things, but I thought cosmic frog, at least the second time was a lot of fun. And I, I this is how I would say it. I'd play it again. It's not like one of these area control games where I play it once to see if I like it. I enjoy the experience. It was a good group. I don't need to play it again. Like Inish, you know, don't need to play that again. But Cosmic Frog is a game I would definitely play again. Yeah, I, I have played this at least a dozen times, and every time has been hilarious for a different wow. reason. Um, so I see in the in the, your chat crew, Topher is asking, um, if someone likes Talisman, would they like this? I, it's similar in the sense that you the game is riding you. Um, there's a lot of luck... I wrote an article actually just talking about how many types of luck this game has. And um, it's like six. It's just luck all the way down. So many types of luck. But once you surrender to that, then it kind of evens out. The game we played the other day, you showed those splinters, right? They're like comets hitting you. Um, I got hit by two of them, um, which of course meant I had lost the game pretty, uh, pretty handily. And that's, you know, I, it's not the kind of game that you play if you really want to get into the competition and try to win. It's more the game that you jump into and have a zany time. And, and that's something I would say about Talisman as well, right? You play that because you want to sit around and, and tell silly jokes with your friends and have goofy stuff happen to you. Right. It's, um, it's cosmic, man. You got to lose your hangups. You got to, you know. Yeah. You know. It's, no, I think Dan's right. It's the story of the game that you're going to remember much more. The points that you score are it's it's how the person won the game, not exactly the points uh, that scored. And Nick says the, the the art looks great, and I think Marshall Wells hits it on the head. When we opened up the uh, the contents <laughs> on TTS, it looks like a metal album cover from start to finish. Every con it's it's like a Rush concept album. I think that's what this game is. It's it's a Rush concept album. So. We, We've got a couple of other, so that's, that's Cosmic Frog. I don't remember all the particulars. Who's the publisher and who's the designer? Um, so it was designed by Jim Felly of Devious Weasel Games. Okay. Um, so he's both the designer and the publisher. He does his own stuff, probably because they are so idiosyncratic. Um, but yeah, this is his, if you've, if you've heard of games like Zimby Mojo or Bemused and you've been intimidated Somehow Cosmic Frog is his most approachable somehow. It is accessible. The rule set was a little tricky to get into, but once we got the first round over and done, we picked up the, the, we picked up the game. It's going to take, take a full round to figure yeah. out exactly how all these systems work. But I, I'm, I'm going to tell people that, it, that even if you're you know, not the biggest fan of luck or not the biggest fan of player conflict, if you go into it with the right frame of mind, you're going to enjoy Cosmic Frog. I did, and I would play it again. So. Yeah. That's, that's what I'll say. All right. Uh, 
It's a board game show. We like to play board games. And I've got my buddy, Alex Goldsmith, who finally showed up. We've been waiting for her. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say it with a straight face. Sorry, yeah, you I saw you come in. I was just, we were just starting Cosmic Frog, and we, and we had just finished the other games. So I wanted to get to those. And yeah, the reason no, we're, no, it's fine. By the way, I was here well before Cosmic Frog, I might add. I saw you. I saw you <laughs> in there. But I wanted, I wanted yeah. to get Cosmic Frog in and make sure I had the picture of it. Because, and the reason, Dan, I wanted to talk about it is because Cosmic Frog is a game that not a lot of people are talking about on social media at all. And I think people need to experience that game. I really do. Alex, I think you would like this game. I'm telling you. No, I'm being serious. I think you would like to play it once. Uh, I don't think you would ever own yeah. it. Alex, I don't making that face, and I'll, I'll, I'll make it the same. <laughs> I don't think it's – I don't think it's, it doesn't feel like an Alex game to me. It, it doesn't sound or look like an Alex game. Other it's than definitely the, not a song game. Definitely not Alex a Sean is, game, but I don't know it, that it's an Alex game either. It's not an Alex game. I think that, Dan, I think that's what the point is. I don't think it's a game that fits a certain crowd. I think that okay. people are going to enjoy the experience. What was that game that you and I played, Alex, at the Dactar Con that you had, that was your game of the con two years ago, though? The oh, Getting oh, on the Rocket Show. We're doomed. So, yeah, we're doomed. That's mm-hmm. a game that, that I think I, when you and I did the review, I said, this is a game at a con, I give it a four or five. In my mm-hmm. home collection, I give it a three. It's just not a game I would play with, you know, with just uh, every night. I think yeah. it's an experience type of game. And Dan, I think Cosmic Frogs that same way. I think you have to have the right group of players who are going to drink some beers and have a good time and, and you know, mess with each other on the board. Yeah. Am I right? You, you are absolutely right. On this show, I'm right, Alex. Off the show, I'm not always right. Hey, the reason I'm- Here's the thing. The, the percentage of games that you dislike is so unbelievably small. <laughs> it's hard to tell exactly if, if, if this is fitting in the vein of, no, it's actually really good, or it's BJ good. Like, I don't, I don't quite know. <laughs> I, I don't know that I said the game is really, really good, though. I'm not saying that the experience of the game is good. Right. I don't know that we're doing this a good game. The experience of playing Weird Doom at a convention with Alex Goldsmith, Dan, do not turn it down. You want to play Weird Doomed with Alex when he's running. Because you do a good job of running the game. I played the game where we didn't have an Alex Goldsmith in that game, Weird Doom, and, and it wasn't as good. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's true of any gaming experience. That's true. Yeah, that Alex, true. Did Alex make it better? Alex, Dan, Dan, Alex. I did. Alex, nice to meet you, Alex. Nice Alex you. is joining us because we've had a terrible record of this game, Dan, that we're going to play. And I'm hoping that, that Alex can continue to bring us luck uh, on this game. It's called the Omvi game because of Alex's encyclopedic knowledge of games. I what? think that we're going to have a better chance of winning. Steve, mm. tell Dan and the chat crew, how do we play the Omvi game? All right. So we got Dan here who's going to think of a game that would be his Omvi, the one that he would play right now. If he could drop everything and had the right group, had the right time, had the right everything. Could be one that's in his collection, could be one that he's dying to play, could be an obscure, you know, Happy Meal game. It could be God knows what. Um, but he's going to have that in his head, and we're going to have to try to ask him questions, a la 20 questions, to figure out what it is. Narrow it down and figure it out. It's a race between the three of us and the chat crew to see who's going to find out what it is first. And the likelihood may well be that Dan stumps us all. I wouldn't. Bank you got on. the rules. What's so, that? 
So, so is this just yes or no, or do I have to? No, you can, you know, if you want to be hard about it, you can say, well, you're going to have to rephrase that in the form of a yes, no question, or we could, you know, be. be so if uh, you say, I want the publisher, or if you say, I want the game name, like the title. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, 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 not like that. But they would, ha- they might, ha- they might say, is it, you know, phrase it, you might force them to say, is it a European designer or something along those oh, okay. lines? You can force them into being specific. They can't go fishing. Okay. They got to ask. By the way, Alex, here's your chance to participate. We're doing a contest all during the show. We're giving away a copy of Sprawlopolis, which I think you already have. Ooh, I don't have, yeah, I played it. It's fantastic. Ooh, okay, so here's your chance. Sprawlopolis, thanks to Topher, we're giving away a copy of Sprawlopolis and also Turbo Drift. And it comes with an expansion that Dan will help me out with. I wish <laughs> expansion. I don't know the you know name. Expansion. Oh, uh, okay. The expansion uh, oh. Turbo Drift. Yeah, it's uh, the ramped up expansion. Oh, the ramped up expansion. Yeah, and it and it's signed by The Rock. No, it's not. But so, Alex, well, now all, I you want this, all you have to do is name an exotic city and be the one that Dan chooses at the end of the episode to visit. Do you have an exotic city? Now, question: Does this city have to be visitable at this current time in this current current moment, or not so much? Dan, no. This has to be a city that I would want to visit under ideal circumstances. Mm-hmm. Well, Dan, I don't know you at all. <laughs> so that very, very, very difficult. Um, I, I, will, I will throw out, there is, uh, when I was traveling, uh, when I was backpacking around the world, uh, I had on my list a lot of countries. And I went, to, I went to Thailand, I went to Vietnam, I went to Laos, I went to Cambodia. And saw some amazing sites in all of those places. The one that wasn't on my radar before I left the country was Myanmar. Uh, and I stopped in a town there called New Bagan. Um, and New Bagan itself is fine as a town, decent enough food, somewhat touristy, stayed in a nice hostel there. But the most breathtaking vistas you'll ever see, it's a, it's a sprawling complex of temples. Um, they have a tendency to launch hot air balloons. So you will see uh, quite a few flying over the city and I'm not a morning person. I, I cannot get up for sunrises, but I got up for every single sunrise I possibly could on that trip. Uh, and I love that place so much that I got it printed on my credit card, a photo that I have. In fact, I'm going to go run and get that photo while you all process all that. Okay. What's the name okay. of the town? Uh, it's, it's New Bagan uh, in Myanmar or Bagan. Oh, B-A-G-A-R. New Bagan. It's that radio show, Dan, where they do the commercials with the singing biscuit ladies and... <laughs> That's the Garrison Keeler show, right, Alex? Okay, oh, Alex, you might, not want, to, you might not want to show the number. <laughs> no, show, no, hold on. <laughs> oh my God! Right. Could you turn it around? There's a three-digit code that we need you to put on the screen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey. if Alex would hold that up a little bit more clearly, we could all finance our trip to Nubagong on his time. You got to get a visa. You have to. You have to get a visa in advance. You got to be careful with that. Right. So we have a couple of. I mean, that's a, that's an interesting wow. one, Dan. Is that something that uh, moves up the list there? Myanmar and and Lake Wobegon days? No. You know, I am impressed that even though Alex doesn't know me at all, he is the only one who proposed a destination that is at all in my wheelhouse. Um, somewhere exotic with some history that I can look at things. That's the problem with visiting American cities is, is Americans have no idea what history is. 
Yeah. You know, we, our cities, they go, oh, and something happened here in the Revolutionary War. That was like yesterday. The arch, that's an, old, that's an old fossil, right? The arch? Mm-hmm. Not, the, not old I was stunned, by the way, to find out that the arch was, I think, built in the 60s? Oh, right. Is it that recent? Yeah, I think so. Wow. So, Marshall, I think St. Louis is out. What about New Orleans? This is home of Alex's favorite sandwich, the po' boy. Have you, uh, I have. I will confess I have wanted to go to New Orleans pretty much for the food. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And I've heard good things. I had, I had two of my best friends go together and I was a little bummed that I wasn't able to go. Uh, so that's okay. Those are the two. Those are it the is, two. It is an Eaton town. Oh, so we yeah. got New Orleans and Myanmar, Charlottesville for the wineries. And there was another place for wineries, Carlsbad, California for wineries. Yep, are you a wine guy? I have actually never had wine. Okay. So, so wineries are out. Uh, Fredericksburg. What about Fredericksburg? Well, more wineries, Patrick. That's not going to help us. 1965, by the way, is when the arch was completed. 1965. Wow, wow that's too recent. That's what I'm talking about. But I, I wouldn't have thought before moving here it was anywhere close to that recent. It just yeah. feels iconic and tied into the city. But yeah, it's incredible. Right. So Fredericksburg is down near New Braunfels. It's the German area of Texas, down west southwest of Austin, between Austin and San Antonio. If you haven't been to that part of Texas, it's unique. It's a, it's a German areas with German food, German culture, German music, really cool beer halls. So I, mm-hmm. I, is that okay, sound well, interesting at all? Man. I do like German. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we've got a couple of places like that. Uh, I don't see anything else. All right. So we've got a bunch of cities on the list. You're going to you're gonna have a tough choice. But let's get back to the game. Let's get to the Envy games. So do you understand the rules of the game, Dan? Yes. Okay. That was your first question. (laughs) Now we have 19 questions up. All right. So uh, the second question I have for you is, is it a competitive or a cooperative game? And I'm going to guess it's competitive. I think you're a competitive kind of guy. I I prefer competitive games. You are correct. And the game I am thinking about is competitive. Oh, I I thought he was going to say the name, Steve. I thought he was going to Ted Ausmark. Yeah. You got it right off the bat. Cosmic Frog. Oh. Oh, no. Oh, Patrick no, says no, Fredericksburg no. has the Nimitz Museum and the National Museum and the Pacific War. Oh, Patrick, that is all nice cool. and dandy. No, skip that. Go to the World War II Museum in New Orleans. Ask Alex. It's amazing. Oh, okay. It is amazing. By the way, I found a picture that doesn't involve me compromising the personal information. That's beautiful. That's gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. Very nicely done. All right, Alex, you got a question? I do have a question. Uh, I, Dan, is this a game that uh, has been released in the last five years? Yes. Mm. Okay. Ooh, Dan's all about the hotness. We should have known that, Alex. We should have known that. Um, King of the hotness. Would it be a game designed by someone that most game hobbyists would recognize the name of? Uh, Kind of a recognizable name Um, designer? No. And to Marshall Wells, I will say yes. What was oh, Marshall's historic, historic theme. theme. That does not lead, shock Marshall. me. That does not shock me. Uh, Joel's throwing out a name, uh, Margaret River, or it's a board game. I don't think I don't think he's picking the board game. Incorrect, right. Joel. So uh, it's Margaret River. Lots of wineries there. No, Joel, he doesn't want to visit wineries. We're we're looking for non-winery areas. All right. Okay. So um, so we got a competitive game within the last five years. Not by a recognizable name. Is it board based or card based? Yes. 
He did. He did ask if they had to be yes, no, and apparently the answer to that question is yes. Oh, he's going to be tough on us. Okay, so the answer is it's got boards and cards. Chat crew. That okay. Wait. So it's a competitive game in the last five years with boards and cards. That narrows it down to about eighty thousand games. So we're getting closer. Yeah. Alex, you got something? I do. Um, is this a game that's based on a popular intellectual property? Ooh, an IP-based game. It is not. But is that because he qualified it as popular? No. I would say, that, by the way, I think it's a dumb question because historic theme would probably eliminate mm-hmm. the one that I had in mind anyway. The mistake I make with these games, I think of, oh, yeah, it's definitely got to be this one that I really want to play. Oh, yeah. And then I ask based on that, and yeah. So, yeah, yeah that's... That happens to us in this game. We, we get down a road, and then we can't get off that highway and take the next exit. Yeah. So Jordan says, does it come in a ticket-to-ride size box? Um, how big is a ticket-to-ride size box? Dan likes small box games. I know uh, that about him. So, so this is, that's a, that is a uh, good observation, BJ, but this is not a small box game, nor is it like a big coffin box. So it is it is... I wouldn't say it's exactly ticket to ride sized, um, but it is close to there. Mm-hmm. It's the Rob Rouse standard box size, Steve. Rob Rouse standard box size. So <laughs> Kelly wants to know, are there dice in the game? Um, you know, I actually don't know. Um, but given the, there's a likelihood. <laughs> that Alex, there are. There's, there's a likelihood of dice being in the game, but he's not sure. I'm not I, sure. I, I think this implies to me, it implies to me a potential legacy game of some kind, perhaps, where you don't necessarily know twists and turns. Maybe not, though. Um, it is not a legacy game, but that's a, that's a good question, Alex. Some good mm. questions in the chat, too. And Topher's asking, Kickstarter, Kickstarter funded or no? No. And Joel is asking if it supports solo play. You know it, Joel. <laughs> Ooh, interesting. It does. Solo play that may or may not have dice. I'm not sure if he's being cute with us. With is, it, is it only solo? I, I think it has dice. I have, it but he's never, never rolled them. Is I'm it never, only solo, Dan? Uh, no, it is not only solo. Yes, it has dice. Um, I just looked it up. Um, Jordan, Jordan does the no cube zone. So he obviously wants to know, <laughs> are there cubes or not? You can't do it on the show. If there's cubes, Jordan, I'm sorry, but this game has cubes. Mm. See, he, Alex, he went right to the yes. So he knows there's cubes, but he's not sure if there's dice. I'm stuck <laughs> on legacy game, but he tells us it's not a legacy. <laughs> Kelly was no. Yes or no. Have you played this game? <laughs> Answer, answer yourself, sir. No. <laughs> oh, he I, hasn't played the game. I, uh, I actually have a friend who has a COVID setup. He has a porch, an open air thing um, with space heaters. Um, so we were going to play this game and then he did something with his wife or something. I don't know. So I have not played this game. I have been very excited about it but I haven't played it. Is this a game that you would think of as kind of like a combat war game? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Did this game come out in 2020? Yes. I I think I have a guess as to this. Okay. Go for it. But I don't know if it passes the the unknown designer part. Better speaker. The chat will beat you. 
The chat will snipe you. Undaunted North Africa? <gasps> I have played and reviewed Undaunted North Africa. Ah. So it cannot be that, but that is a great guess. Mm. Mm. So it wouldn't be Normandy version, I don't think, Alex, but that's a... Uh, no, no, no. That's, and that's not a 2020 release anyway, I'm pretty sure. No, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. 2020 release. And he's, you've played the shores of Tripoli already, right, Dan? I haven't. Um, apparently it's being shipped to me. Um, yeah. but I, so no, I, I haven't played that, but I do want to, but no, that's not what I'm thinking about. Yeah. And Jordan, unfortunately it is not Imperial struggle. Um, although I like, I, I am a fan of Imperial struggle. Mm-hmm. All right. Chaku recap competitive game. Uh, not a recognizable designer. We're not sure if it has dice, but it definitely has a board. It definitely has cards. We've confirmed it has dice. He's, he's now confirmed after looking it up, it does have dice. Oh, it does have yes. dice. It does have 2020. Dice. 2020. Supports solo play and it's combat. Oh, and it's, and it's historical based, you said. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, uh, look, we know this game. What historical game came out in 2020? That's the answer to this question. It's so simple. It is. I just need you to answer it. What, what, uh, <laughs> What historical game came out in 2020? Um, let's see. Does it anyway? It does support solo play, so we're not talking. We're not talking anything from restoration games like uh, like the um, the unmatched games. I was. I mean, some of those are great great questions. It's a coin game. Yes, it is a coin game. Hmm. That is that is Alex and I's blind spot there. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where is Sean? At least, for new, at least for new ones. Um, what has Sean talked about on the show lately? By the way, Alex is from the Dukes of Dice podcast. Well, we keep talking about Alex and Sean's podcast. but um, uh, uh, I, don't, I don't tend to listen as closely to his recent plays as I probably should. So it's very possible he said <laughs> that. Right? I, I actually imagine when he starts talking about the GMT game, Steve, that, yeah. that Alex has like got it on mute and he's, he's, yeah. he's checking his – He's doing his checkbook or he's, he's you know what, he, you know what it is? He's on AOL and he's on one of the bulletin boards and he's downloading some information about some game. Uh, PAX Premier is not 2020. It's not a coin game. Yeah. It's not a coin game. Uh, although Cole was influenced by the coin series. Mm-hmm. Space Court. <laughs> I've never heard of Space Court. It, it's a running joke on the show uh, today. That's Space oh, okay. Corp. But they call it space court as a as a mince pronunciation. I see. A, the, we 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 needed we need another Duke here. Is, yeah, Pat absolutely recognized that Jordan is right on the money. It, it yeah, space court, of course. Yeah. Um, see, the we, game, we invited, finally, the non-existent game I most want to play. We invited mm-hmm. the wrong Duke tonight, Steve. We yeah. invited the wrong Duke. Uh, I apologize. I didn't think it would be uh, so. No, t- no. You just happen to have a collection of us, and it looks like chat tonight who might not be big into historical coin combat. I, you know, normally we do have some coin guys out in the chat crew, and I'm not seeing them, and they're not chiming in. So, man, am I allowed to cheat and look at all of the coin games released in 2020? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I think so. Watergate's not a coin game, and it was 2019, yeah. but that's a good guess, Joel. A favorite of mine, a favorite of Alex's. I think Dan likes it also. Yeah, I like, I like Watergate. That's a good guess. Is there, is there a, was there a Command in Colors something that came out this year? Richard Borg, uh, not really a coin. It, it is a coin game, though, Dan? 
the game I'm thinking of? Yeah. Yeah. He said it several yeah. times. Yeah, just making sure. Um, um, I look at coin on the website. Uh, I come mm-hmm. up with all bridges burning. Alex, you have uh, successfully identified the game. Yeah, wow. but, that, but but I <laughs> I deserve like literally zero credit. Man, I, I always I always try to kind of at least keep an eye out on these coin games, even though I don't play them because I have friends that do play them. Yeah. And I don't know this game. Dan, you gotta give you gotta give us the scoop. What is it, what is what is intriguing you about this game? Um, so this is the first coin game for three players, um, mm-hmm. and it's uh, I, I believe it's about the Finnish Civil War. Mm. Um, so it's the Reds versus the Whites in uh, Finland. I think in 1917 or thereabouts. Um, so it's the only coin game that has released that I haven't played. So I'm, Who are I'm the really, insurgents? Which which group? Do you know? I I actually don't. I haven't even opened it up because our our play fell through. So I, I haven't played it, which is a huge disappointment to me because I love that series. The closest I've gotten is playing is is Root, which is not a coin game, but you know is an homage to coin games. And yeah. then we have this one, um, Ale- uh, Pendragon, that we just. You know, every time Bradley opens up the rule book, it we just never even get past page one. It's just it's yeah, a pretty a, intimidating rule book, man. And that and honestly, that's the toughest one um, to learn and play. So, what should we start if we wanted to play a coin game? Because I know Alex is dying to, to put one in his repertoire. What, what <laughs> game should we start out with? Um, the simplest entry point is Cuba uh, Libre. Yeah, uh, that's that. That one's pretty easy to learn and play. Um, you know, even even some of the other ones like um, a distant plane isn't so bad. Um, I would probably start with one of those. When I hear Cuba Libre, Steve, every time I hear it, I, I think it gets shorty because get the the writer of Get Shorty wrote a book called Cuba Libre, and so every time I think, I'm like, what is this a novel? What are they playing? Well, At least that, that's isn't it a drink. It is. Is it? It's it's a rum and coke. I think. Okay. Oh, is it? Roman Cup, think, or Cuba Libre. I think that's what a Cuba Libre is. Well, Alex, we knew we had you on for a reason because of yep. your Google skills. Your Alex, Google. Alex Google Smith with the, with the win. Alex Google Smith with the big win on the Envy. Uh, are we you counting can't that give as me a win for that? There's, there's no like, there is no credit given. We were all absolutely stumped. That's true. Kevin, Kevin hey, was know. close though. Kevin was very close. If you, if hey, you put uh, Kevin's. Verla mentioned something, um, you know, that she has no clue with the coin game. We do have a couple of people from the Gateway and Filler Games group on Facebook that haven't played coin games before. Maybe, Dan, just give them a quick overview on what a coin game is, if they're in something that might be interesting for them. So coin stands for counterinsurgency. Um, they are designed to be about uh, asymmetrical modern warfare. So uh, you know, you have a government and the government is the one with the tanks and the planes and the police forces. Um, but that's not how modern war works anymore, right? You don't have two big armies that go slug it out. You have a big army that occupies and then you have insurgents who blow up buildings and uh, glue pamphlets to walls and things like that. Um, so they are games that are designed to simulate that kind of warfare uh, between very unlevel playing fields. Um, it was designed by Volker Runke, who has a huge mm-hmm. history in um, the war game arena. And uh, his whole goal was to do that. And that um, this new one, All Bridges Burning, is 
the 10th volume. So it's had a lot of success. So, you know, thinking back to the root game, that's like the cats, you know, running all over the board. And then you've got, I forgot which the ones that run around the little mice that they, yeah, the Woodland Alliance. The Woodland Alliance, that's it. They broadcast the news about how bad the cats are and try to start up a little riot in in each of the little villages on route. Alex, can't remember, have you played route yet? I played route. Yeah, we were were getting it on the show. Yeah, I played route. Yeah, so Root, as you may know, uh, is in part inspired by the coin series. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what it is. All right, Alex, I'm going to send you and Steve back down to the green room. I'm going to count that as a win because the chat crew didn't get it before us, and they have Google. (laughs) We don't know if they're honest or not, but I'm going to count it as a win tonight. Or at least a draw, Alex. Can we count it as a draw? No. Not even counting. No, I think think I'm with Alex. Well, the point of who wins is Dan. Oh, yeah, that, that too. Yes, sorry. Dan, well, I, Dan, Dan won. You know, I, I would give it to uh, Jordan because he identified it as a coin game. Uh, Ooh, he, was as close, he was as close to a win as we got, I think. Yeah, definitely. And then we're, so I'll send you two down, and then Dan's going to make the big announcement. There we who's go. winning to send Dan to an exotic city like Omaha or St. Louis or uh, Galveston. We had, a lot of, we had a lot of choices here, <laughs> some tough choices. Thanks, Alex, and I'll, I'll talk to you later. Hey, Cosmic Frog, let's set it up on TPS. No. (laughs) All right. All right, Steve, I'm going to send you back down. So, all right, Dan, this is the big moment. We played Envy. Thank you for playing Envy and and being gracious to giving uh, Jordan the win tonight. I think you're right. I think Jordan was the closest to it. Adam was around there. He said fire in the lake, uh, which is close. Oh, yeah, that's close. Yeah, but I don't think it's 2020. I think it came out a couple of years ago, right? Fire in the Lake? Yeah, Fire in the Lake was, what is that, volume four or something? Yeah, but he was close. He was, he was around there. So, all right. So, you've had a lot of choices. Who is the big winner of the Send Dan to an Exotic City contest tonight? Okay. Oh, wait. Um, you want to run? You want to run down? Sure. Uh, can can I get the rundown without any names attached? I don't want to have name bias. No, no an- names, Verla. Just give us the rundown of the names that you have. I, you know what? I think we're closing the contest, Topher, so we're not sending Dan to Fresno. <laughs> no no-cow. Maybe beautiful so-cow, but not, we're not going to no-cow. Sorry, uh, Topher. All right, so what do we have? Uh, where is Verla? Uh, Verla's not in the, um, in the uh, room. I thought she was just going to type them out for us. She's been keeping track of a list on them. Oh, okay. Maybe maybe uh, the names were attached, and then I had my unreasonable uh, demand. Yeah, I don't see Berla in the green room, so she's just going to have to... Are you, we'll have to see if she's typing them out or not. All right, so Dan, from memory, you'll have to pull okay. it. Okay. Well, then I am going to say... Um, oh, here we go. Oh. Omaha, Galveston, St. Long, Godibo, Ketchikan, Paris, Cape Town, Perth, Lake Skillet, Alabama. I am going to go to Ketchikan. Wow, Ketchikan. What made that what made that your choice, Dan? Um, I wanted to go to something not in the at least <laughs> lower 48. <laughs> um and I, I, I've always wanted to go to Alaska. I think that would be a good time. Ketchikan, Alaska. Oh, we did have the Myanmar City, New Orleans, St. Louis, Charlottesville, and Carlsbad. And that oh, rounds out your choices. 
Um, well, I, I'll go to Alaska. Alaska is number one. Number two would be? I think it would probably be New Orleans. New Orleans, really? Very yeah. nice. All right, so Kelly's the big winner tonight of the Sprawlopolis and, uh, and Drift. Uh, not Tokyo Drift. I keep wanting to say Tokyo. Turbo Drift with the expansion. Thank you, Topher, for doing that for us. That was, uh, that was super cool of him to, uh, to, to give us that. And thank you, Dan, for coming on the show to, to play the Omni game and to talk about some of these board games with us. Uh, so the, the, board game, the, the board game portion of the show, of course, brought to us by our playing cards over there at Board Game Gumball. Game Crafter page. It's only 15 bucks, and you can get a copy of Blu-ray with the instructions right in there. Dan, have you ever played Blu-ray? Are you a trick-taking kind of guy? I have not played it. I've, I, I've, uh, I didn't grow up playing trick-takers. My wife did. And so whenever we play, she just demolishes me. Um, so no, I haven't. No, I've never played it. It's just a five-card trick, uh, trick game, and you play with money. So it does kind of get, uh, get, get pretty evil. But uh, a lot of fun, Blu-ray. Uh, if you ever get a chance, you can get a copy right there on the Game Crafter on cool. there. All right, Board Gamers, that's it for another episode of Gumbo Live. Hey, Dan, if people want to know more about you or, or the writing that you do, and by the way, I, I don't think we even said it tonight, I'm a huge fan, as you probably figured out by now. I love I love every time you post. I have you on the email, so it pops up at 4 in the morning, and I can see that you, <laughs> you're staying up all night to type these things because I get my email notifications at like 2 or 3 in the morning sometimes. Yeah. How, how, how can people find you? Um, if you go to spacebiff.com, uh, I am also at Dan Thurot. That's how you spell it, Thurot, uh, on Twitter, and that's where you find me. And spacebiff is with a dash and with an exclamation point. Space and and of course a picture of St. Thomas Aquinas right there staring yep. at you when you when you uh, log onto the site. And uh, is that right, spacebiff.com? That is it. Yeah. Make sure to like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Gumbo, and our YouTube channel. It helps us to get the word out about all of our upcoming shows, including next week, we've got a game designer coming in, Grant Lyon, who designed Curmudgeon. He's also a Comedy Central comic and the owner of 25th Century Games, Chad Elkins. They're going to be coming in to talk about Curmudgeon and also just to talk about some games. And uh, I am BJ from Board Game Gumbo, Dan. And until next time, les le bon temps roulet. Thanks for listening. Gumbo Live is produced by DJ Rosa and the name father Steve O'Rourke, with editing by Sean Jones. You can find more Board Game Gumbo content by checking out our YouTube channel, Facebook page, and Twitter feed at Board Game Gumbo, or visit the Board Game Gumbo blog at BoardGameGumbo.com. Hey, this is Patrick. And this is Eric. From Patrick, Patrick and, and Eric in the Morning. Join us every now and again for about a half an hour as we freeform chat about whatever's on our minds and how it all relates back to our favorite hobby, board gaming. Patrick and Eric in the Morning can be found on the What Did You Play This Week podcast feed and on the Punchboard Media site. Happy listening. Happy listening.